Well, hey there, everyone. My name is Daniel, and I'm the online campus pastor here at OAG. I am excited for today's podcast because this is from our series entitled Before You Knew Me. This will be stories and testimonies shared from folks just like you and our own church family. So sit back and relax and be inspired by what God has done and is still doing in the lives of His children. We have quite a few over the last uh, 37 years we've been married. And uh, Mitzi was kind of curious as to what we should say because in 37 years we've lived in multiple states and multiple places and done multiple things and and it's just kind of a you know we're not we're not your homegrown Sumter County hog fed uh, people and uh, except for we've been here a long time we've been here since since 1991 we've lived here in the in the area and we've seen an awful lot of changes go on in the area and uh, what used to be pasture land and cows is not pasture land and cows now. And so uh, we're just going to let Mitzi kind of start this off because she's, uh, she's the brains behind the operation. And just so y'all will know, she is the brains behind most of the music that goes on Sunday morning. She gets to pick uh, an awful lot of what happens on Sunday morning. So if you don't like it, blame her. Uh, but... Uh, We've been together an awful long time, and it's kind of yin and yang, and and uh, we've seen God do some just unbelievable, unbelievable things, not only in our life, but, uh, and you'll hear a couple of those tonight, but we've seen him do some incredible things for other people, and uh, he hasn't quit doing that. I'm just letting you know. He's still, still on the throne, and still, he delights in giving you the desires of your heart. Y'all understand that? That he is just like you and your children and your father and your mother when they, when they were able to get, buy you that bicycle when you were growing up, you know, when you got it on Christmas or your birthday, whatever it was, and you just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. That's, what, that's the way God feels. It gives him great pleasure to... to minister to you in your need and uh so mitzi take it away and and uh, start off whatever it is you're gonna say there well last week when i was listening to pastor scott and katie i got a little bit of a chuckle because you know they're half our age and they had quite a story to tell and i'm thinking there isn't five sessions of this that, that Lee and I could put it all together. So we'll do our best to, to make it uh, concise and for it to flow. But I think the real, um, I think the real takeaway from this evening, and hopefully as we get to know other people, is if you've ever questioned, you know, if God has a plan, he does, you know, now looking back, it's always, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say, looking back at all the things that we've gone through, uh, even before we were married, um, there, there was an evident plan. God's hand was in our lives. And, you know, Lee talks oftentimes about how long we've been married and, you know, at our age, 
we know more people that are our age that are divorced than are still married. So I think he's proud of the fact that we're still married. But God had a plan in all of this and all of these stories that, that we're going to share with you. And I agree with Pastor. You know, you never know who's sitting amongst you and, and what they did. Um, I think you'll find some things humorous, some things that Lee and I have been through and done. But... Um, I feel very privileged and honored to, to get the opportunity to do this. Now, believe it or not, as, as much personality as Lee has here while he's in the pulpit, he's actually the quiet one in the household. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the talker. Uh, <laughs> I am the talker. Um, and uh, although I'm a pretty shy person, believe it or not, but some, something within me, and I, I want to credit my dad, uh, for always bringing out the the talking in me, but you know when we're at home I might not hear him talk for hours at a time and I'm constantly talking so um, Maybe tonight um, uh, You know he always gets his chance and of course I I've got to share a little bit of my um, My heart with you all while he was um, Recovering from his surgery, and I, I do thank you all for praying for him keep praying for him He's he's still working on it every day. So, so tell him how we met well, I was going to tell him first a little bit about my growing up. Um, I am the uh, daughter of George and Evelyn Bates. Bates is my maiden name. That's a Welsh name, in case you're wondering. My dad was um, Navy. He was... Um, uh, 20 years in the Navy from 1943 to 1963. So I was born at Great Lakes Naval Station in Chicago. We weren't from there. My parents were from upstate South Carolina. My mother grew up in a Pentecostal home. Uh, and if you know anything about upstate South Carolina, a lot of the, a lot of Pentecost, I know we talk about Azusa Street and the kids talked about that last week, but a lot of Pentecost actually started in the foothills of of the Carolinas and you know upstate South Carolina and Georgia and my mother was a part of that she grew up in and around quartet music uh, she teased and said that you know any quartets that came through and some of us old-timers remember the Blackwoods and the Stamps and uh, you know the Statesmen and that sort of thing they all came to her church and um, she's she claims she was even engaged to a couple of them before she met my father my father was a hardline bad Baptist. Now, you know, today you talk about the different uh, sects of, of Baptist church, but Hardline Baptist was as strict as any Pentecostal ever was. I know my grandmother didn't even have TV in her home, uh, you know, even the day she died, she didn't allow TVs in her home. So I grew up in a, in a God-fearing, God-loving family, and music was the center of our home. Now, my mother couldn't sing. She didn't play. My father wasn't the best singer, but he played the guitar. He taught himself while he was on carriers in the Navy to, to uh, play the guitar. And so I just grew up around good old Southern gospel music, and I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I just loved harmonies and that sort of thing. Uh, so music was a focus for us. I was actually the 11th child born into the family, but I was the first to survive. My mother lost 10 children, either uh, stillborn, live births that passed. Um, she, she had one child live five days. So to, when I came along, 
to say that I was the apple of their eye is an absolute understatement. I did not do anything. Oh, you can't go outside, you might get dirty, or you might get cold, or somebody might steal you, or you can't go spend the night with your friend because we don't know their neighbors, and we don't know their milkman. And we, So I lived an extremely sheltered life growing up. We went to church, I went to school, and that was it. It was a very unusual upbringing. My parents were in their 40s when I was born, and I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me, and then there was actually another baby born after him. So a total of 13, only to have two survive. So made for a very interesting upbringing, and in fact, it really formed a lot of uh, who I am today, even as a mother. Um, we moved to Texas. My dad retired from the Navy, and we moved to Texas when I was in the second grade. So if you ever wonder where the hair influence came from, I'm a Texas girl at heart. I know I was born in Chicago, but uh, going to Texas at the age of seven, I grew up around um, all things that if you have ever thought it was stereotypical of Texans, it is all true. Um, you know, we like our big hair. And uh, I loved sports. I grew up, I didn't play sports, but I was a, a big fan of sports. You know, I can still, to this day, talk high school football with the best of them. I could talk with Pastor about high school football uh, because that was such a big part of my life. Um, when I turned 18, it was right before I graduated from high school, I thought I was very independent and I wanted to choose my own church. So uh, we were going to um, a church in um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Coppell Assembly of God. And Lee and I have a lot of similarities where we, we went to Church of God churches, the, the Cleveland, Tennessee Church of God churches, and we went to Assembly of God, back and forth, back and forth in our lifetime. And um, so when I was, uh, uh, you know, a big shot and thought I could handle myself, I asked if I could pick my own church, and my parents... Um, relented and let me go. And I went to uh, a church in Irving, Texas. Uh, it was right, it was a few miles away from uh, Texas Stadium, Cowboy Stadium. And um, my second Sunday was the Sunday that Lee has told about many times here that they came to pastor the church. I'd only been there two weeks. You know, I wonder, well, did God, was that God? Was his hand in that? You know, we, we didn't miss each other. Um, in high school, my big focus was mu music and drama. So now you maybe you get a little glimpse into why I'm so animated when I talk or when I have a speaking part. I'm very animated. I, uh, I sang in church for the very first time on an Easter Sunday morning when I was in the eighth grade. Um, we sang Rise Again by Dallas Holm. I'll never forget it. And I was in a trio, and that was really what catapulted me to have the courage to get involved in music. So I started in high school a cappella choir uh, all four years. I sang with different um, show choirs, and we competed quite a bit. And um, I just knew from a very early age that music ministry was going to be uh, in, in my life, and it was certainly my heart. Um, when I met Lee's family, uh, when they came to pastor the church, 
I was attending North Texas State University. Um, it's now called the University of North Texas, but my, I had a double major. I was a music major, a music performance major, and a marketing major. That was, that was my plan. I finished all of one semester before the Terry's kidnapped me, as I tease and tell the story. Um, I was driving about 30 miles to church, and uh, oftentimes I would stay on a Sunday afternoon because, you know, we'd have Sunday night service, and the Terry's would invite, it wasn't Lee, it was his mother and his father and his sister and his older brother would invite me to stay for the afternoon, and then if the weather was really bad, they'd invite me to stay overnight and, you know, call your parents and tell them you're not going to drive home, the weather's bad. And so uh, they were all in on the plot to, to put me into the family. My father-in-law had a tape ministry, as so many evangelists did back in those days, and it was my job to duplicate the tapes and to put the labels on them and to mail them out to folks who had their tape of the month club. And of course, that was what I would do on Sunday afternoon, but I didn't really have to do it because Lee did it all for me so he could hang out with me while I was doing the tape ministry. And um, so, that, so that's part of how we met. You want me to continue or are you gonna fill in the... You're doing good. Okay. So, so, so I worked for the, the Terry's. Well, Lee was already evangelizing at that point. Um, basically, when he got out of high school, he'd had a couple of offers for uh, scholarships, and hopefully he's going to tell you a little bit about this, but uh, I know you're going to be surprised by this, but this guy over here was a racquetball phenom, and uh, he was a uh, world-class national champion racquetball player. And I mean, some of you may not even remember, you know, remember when Racquetball was a thing? Well, it was a thing, and he and his brother were both. Uh, his dad was one of the actual founding fathers of the sport that we know uh, as racquetball today. It started out sort of as handball, and then a paddle ball, and then it evolved into racquetball. But Lee, Lee played racquetball from this big. I have pictures of him on a racquetball court, and he's probably two years old. So he'd been offered a scholarship to Ohio State as a racquetball player, and he had declined that. Um, he was going to go to Lee College, which at the time was the, the uh, church-affiliated um, college for the Church of God, and he declined that. He came to our little church in Irving instead and then immediately went on to the evangelistic field. So Lee and I knew each other all of six months, maybe, only on... Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, it wasn't a constant. Uh, but very early on, he kept, he would tell me, now Mitzi, I love you. And I'd say, oh, I love you too. Now let's go, you know, get us some Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, I mean, I thought he was just saying we were friends and he loved me. And, and uh, then he started to get serious and say, you know, I'm going to marry you someday. And God told me I'm going to marry you. And I've didn't ever say anything disrespectful, but I thought, well, God sure didn't tell me we were going to get married. But uh, anyway, he, we, we, we went through, so that, that we met in June, and in December, he was gone. He was gone on his evangelistic field. Uh, he'd uh, traveled with two other young men. They sang in a trio, and then Lee did the preaching. And he said goodbye to me. 
and it was late January, so about a month later, my father-in-law asked me to come visit with him, which I did, and he said, uh, the family is leaving. We're going to Madisonville, Kentucky. I've taken a position as an uh, inter international evangelism director for a, a church in Madisonville that also has a television station. It was called WLCN, Channel 19. It was in Western Kentucky. And he said, I've already asked the president of the uh, TV station if I accept the position that I would like to bring my staff. And I want to invite you as my employee to come to Madisonville, Kentucky with us. Well, I didn't want to go to Madisonville, Kentucky. And I said, as all Christians say when they want to use an excuse, I'll have to pray about it. And I thought, I'm going to go home, and now I've already told you about my parents and how how protective they were and so forth. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to go home. I'll tell my parents about it. They're going to say, no way. And then I can say, Brother Terry, thank you so much. But my parents said no. So I went home and I told my parents about it. And one of the, one of the little nuggets that he, he dangled in front of me, he said, you would be a, an employee of the Christian television station. And that intrigued me. This was, you know, this was back in the days of, of big television, well, even here in Orlando, big television, uh, Christian television ministries, and of course, Jim Baker and so forth. And it was a, you know, it was a, a pretty uh, ostentatious uh, goal that I had that I would work in ministry like that. And so I went home and told my parents and my mother, who was sort of the mouthy one like me, and never said a word, tears streamed down her face. And my father, who was always the quiet one, but you know, when he spoke, people listened. He said, we knew this day would come when we'd have to say goodbye to you. And although we don't know the Terry's that well, we know them well enough and we trust them that they'll take care of you and you have our blessing. What am I going to do now? So I thought, well, you know, I got a job. I'm going to have to quit my job. Well, guess where I worked? I worked at the local Christian bookstore. And the owner of the bookstore knew that I was, you know, a singer and, you know, locally had, had uh, sang in churches and in the, the uh, school plays and the church choirs and, and that sort of thing. And he said, well, what a dream of yours, Mitzi. Uh, you know, I said, well, don't I need to give you two weeks notice? He said, no. You're off the hook. Well, I had just started my next semester at North Texas State University, and I thought, well, I'm never going to get out of that. I was, a, I was a scholarship student through my father's work, and I didn't want to be an embarrassment and, you know, take a scholarship that, that I wasn't going to be able to use, and I didn't want to fail my classes. So I went to the registrar's office, and guess what they said? Oh, you're still within the time to drop your classes, and, you know, you won't get a failing grade. So I withdrew from North Texas State. The, the kicker was when Brother Terry mentioned it to me, I said, well, how long do I have? When do I need to let you know? And I don't know if Lee's going to bring this up in his childhood's portion, but he said, well, we're pulling out of here in three days, which was his MO. You know, he came home many times and said, Noli, 
you know, I'll, I'll meet you in Wausau, Florida. Okay, well, when do, just I'm sending the moving truck. I'll meet you there. You know, he, that's, just, that's just what he did. So in three days' time, I was moving with virtual strangers to Madisonville, Kentucky. And uh, when Lee came in the first time to visit, I'd been there uh, probably two or three weeks, I saw him differently when he when he came in I don't know if I was homesick or lonesome but I realized then how close we'd become and how much I'd missed him and how I could see God's hand working and that that maybe we'd have a life together so he then asked me again to marry him, and I said yes at that point, you know. And um, we got married. I worked for the TV station, um, which is kind of fascinating. I worked TV cameras. I worked switchers. I mean, if you worked at this little TV station, you know, we, uh, I sang in several groups. You'd sing, and then you'd go work a camera so someone else could sing or, or whatever. And we met, it was close enough to Nashville that I met some amazing people, uh, the pastor and his wife that, that uh, also was the president of the TV station, John and Linda, Linda Stalls. They wrote some of the most amazing music, very well known. They wrote a lot of music for the Happy Good family. Uh, if you've ever heard the song Stepping on the Clouds, they wrote that song. So I really got my, um, I really had such great mentors uh, in that. And this was before Lee and I ever even got married. Lee would come in and be a special singer. You know, I was the one that worked it day in and day out. Um, there's so much more to, to tell, and it's already 7.30, but well, let me say this, and then I'm going to pass it over to Lee. Um, when Lee and I married, I knew he was an evangelist, and I knew I was called to ministry. I wasn't sure that the life of uh, an evangelist's wife was what I had hoped and dreamed for, but I would do what he asked me to. That didn't mean I wouldn't offer my opinion or a suggestion, but I would always do as he asked because he was always and still is the head of the household. He's the boss. He's the one that has to answer to God. If he messes it up, it's his fault. You know. But um, I, I said to him, because we talked about the life of evangelists, and he'd lived it more than you know, I, I, more than anybody you've probably ever known. He's lived this life of, of being the, the child of an evangelist. And I, did, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. But I told him that I would support his ministry the best I knew how by always keeping a home, always working hard, even if it meant I was the primary breadwinner and the person that... Um, had the steady job because I always wanted him to go places that he felt led to go. I didn't want it to be about an honorarium. I didn't want it to be about the amount of paycheck that he would get at the end of a week or two weeks or, and therefore uh, the first many years of our life, he was gone 40 weeks out of the year. I didn't want to raise kids in a motor home and homeschool, and that's what our contemporaries were doing. You know, they would travel and they'd have a bunch of babies in a motor home and you know, that just, I, I wanted us to have our own home. So when he was close, I was always with him, or if I could get the time off from work, I would go with him. But it was my agreement and understanding from the very beginning that I would support his ministry 
the best way I could, and I felt like that would be to be the steady person at home uh, earning the income. Now, I don't mind telling you, that was not always the most comfortable way to live in today's modern society because it looked like I was the worker and he was the guy, you know, running off and traipsing all over the country and all over the world. And that simply wasn't the case. It was an agreement that he and I had from the very beginning before we ever got married. So uh, God had to really uh, give us some peace and some special grace over the years, even to, to this day. Uh, you know, and, and with the children growing up and so forth and not really understanding, you know, why is my dad, why can't he coach my t-ball team? And, you know, why isn't he at my kindergarten graduation and that sort of thing? It was, it was like you were a, a split family, but you weren't at all. And my sweet mother-in-law, you know, I've mentioned her. She, of course, Lee's father traveled, and, and Lee traveled, and a lot of times they traveled together, especially in the later years. I always said Lee was the Elisha to the Elijah. And I guess one of the reasons why Noli and I was so close is it was she and I against the world, because we stayed at home, and nobody understood my plight like she did, and nobody understood her plight like I did. So we were two peas in a pod and, and stuck together a lot of times when the men were gone. But I remember as a newlywed, Lee would call home and he'd, we, we'd plan, you know, because there were no cell phones or anything, you know, it's okay, now Tuesday night after church and Saturday night after church, I'm gonna call and you be home. And so we'd always plan that and he'd call and, or I would say, well, I'm gonna be at your mom's. And he would call, and I'd start crying. I'd say, oh, I miss you so bad, and work's been so terrible, and I don't have the money to pay the car payment. <laughs> you know, I just was, and my, my sweet mother-in-law, again, very few times did she ever scold me, but you know, she'd say, now Mitzi, he's out there doing the work of God. Do you want him to come off the road and be at home? Well, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, but look what you're doing to him. You're making him feel guilty and terrible that he's out there doing God's work. You, don't, you shouldn't put that on him if you don't want him to come home. And it was a real eye-opener. And then she would say, you know, how many people have loved ones that are gone to war or, you know, in, a, in, a, in another career path where they're not at home? He said, if you really feel like Lee's doing the work of God, you need to quit doing that. So, so I appreciated having the Terrys as in-laws I can't even say how impactful they were to, to my life, but uh, so very thankful for them. Now, you know I haven't said anything on my script here. <laughs> I, I actually marked down the two things that you did mention. So. I made talking right. points for us. Yes, and, and haven't gotten And I haven't looked at Well, I, I told did. you she can really talk. She's yeah. one of the best. <laughs> The reason she's such a successful uh, real estate agent is because she can talk. If you're not going to talk, she will. Uh, bringing you up to speed, we got married in June the 22nd of 1985. Um, the honeymoon could be a, a movie comical thing all by itself. Um, uh, of course, you know, we got married at 20 years old, so neither one of us knew anything about anything. I asked her to ship her 
what little belongings she had in Madisonville because I was living in Florida at the time down in Vero. I said, would you just ship them, you know, put them in a box and let's just ship them down to Vero. And, and that, that wasn't good enough. <clears throat> so we had to rent a U-Haul. And I had a... Because I uh, wanted to save money. I didn't want yeah, to ship them. Yeah, so we had to rent a U-Haul, middle of summer, uh, and pull in a U-Haul with a... Uh, um, Buick International limited edition uh, car and uh, 110 degrees that weekend and we were driving through Atlanta and the car overheated multiple times. So we would get out of the car, pull off to the side of the road when it got hot, uh, pull out and, and open the presents that we got for, for the, uh, you know, on the side of the road. We're opening gift wrapping, unwrapping. And so then, it, you know, it killed an hour or two hours, whatever, the car would cool down. So the trip, I left Vero Beach. I had $3,200 in my pocket. Now, this is 1985 and a 20-year-old. I had $3,200 in my pocket. When I arrived back at Vero Beach, having received a $200 gift from one of the men in the church, who pulled it out of his pocket and said, you're going to need this on your way home. Uh, we had 63 cents left. That's what we had out of the 3,200. We had spent that much money trying to either uh, get a hotel room. We wound up finally getting a hotel room at night and, and or during the day and driving at night so it didn't overheat. But, but our, our married life... Uh, we, we went to our first stop for the honeymoon, which was the Marriott in Nashville. We stopped off there, and they were having a BMX and clown convention at the Marriott. So we, we pulled into, pulling a trailer, we pulled into the parking lot. There was not a parking space available because they were all being taken up by these giant BMX motorcycles and bicycles and the clowns had their own stuff so there was every, every row was full of of trucks and and trailers and i finally just pulled it up next to a fire hydrant and said well if they you know they rise the ticket they rise the ticket well it's about it's about uh, 12 o'clock 12 30 in the morning we pull up finally get out of the car walk inside to the hotel room and I said, uh, I'm Mr. Terry, we, we have a, a room for tonight. And the lady behind the counter at the Marriott said, oh, oh, you showed up. And I knew then that something was wrong. And I said, yes, we showed up. We have a reservation. And she goes, let me get the manager. I'll be right out. And so we went to get the manager. He come out and he said, Mr. Terry, he said, I, I have some bad news. And I went, you gave our room away. And he goes, no, we didn't give your room away. He said, your room, the honeymoon suite was on the second floor on the mezzanine. And the mezzanine also contained the uh, water, uh, uh, the thing, the water, water mains. mains for where we hold our water. And they bursted and your room's under about four foot of water right now. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? And he said, well, we've got you a room booked at the Hermitage 
downtown Nashville. Well, I didn't know what the Hermitage was. It didn't sound real appealing uh, at the time, but the Hermitage was Andrew Jackson's home. I don't know if you would know that or not, but Andrew, a very elaborate, gorgeous, high granite ceilings and giant chandeliers, and it's just a beautiful place if you ever get a chance to go. So we pull up into the parking lot at the Hermitage and get out, and she's in a silk white dress, beautiful, beautiful dress. I'm in something real close to what I'm in right now, blue jeans and a, and a, and a shirt that my cousin gave me off of his back because I had a T-shirt on. We're carrying parachute luggage, and we go inside the Hermitage, this extremely grand hotel. We get in there, and they said, <laughs> they said we want you to... Glad you're here. Here's your key. Everything's taken care of. Marriott paid for everything. Don't worry about it. You know, have a nice day. So I carry Mitzi over the threshold. And I carry her into the first room at the suite we had. Well, there was a table. There was a chair. There was a sofa. There was a, a bar. There was, there was a refrigerator. There was, and I said, well, there's no bed. So I walk down, and there's a hallway. So I walk down to the hallway, and I go into the next room, and it was the bathroom. It was the only time I'd ever been to a bathroom at that time that had a phone in the bathroom. So there was a, a working phone in the bathroom. I said, well, this ain't it. I'm still carrying her. So I, I turn left, and I go, and I finally find the bedroom, and I, I promise you it was from here to the doors. It's, it felt like is where the bed was. It was a long, it, just forever. So I finally, I just chunk her on the bed. And uh, so that, that was our opening night for uh, our honeymoon. And, it, you know, how, how wonderful it was. That was at 2 o'clock in the morning that we finally got to our bedroom uh, for the honeymoon. So we started off in a, in a rough, rocky little situation because I was already upset at her for not shipping the stuff and we broke down every the, 30 the miles. The first big fights. Yeah. So, Day one. And then I had gone through 30-something hundred dollars in, in a matter of minutes, it felt like, just to get home. And we, uh, we were staying in a little place. I told her we were living on the beach, and we were, uh, uh, at a place. What was the name of the place? Ocean Villas. Ocean Villas. And they were the 19... 35 cottages that used to be, if you ever remember seeing like uh, the old movies where they, they'd have the Summer beach homes and stuff. Or, yeah. And that was what it was. And we were the caretakers for this place. Well, no one told us when horrible. I took the job that we had to be there all the time. There was nine units, and if they weren't all rented out, empty we had arms somebody. hotel. Yeah, empty arms. That's what it was. So, our, and our, and our, facility was also the managing uh, area. So our door was open all the time. The, if he, and the if only he phone, went to church, I would stay. The only if phone I went to church, that was he there was, stay. During, yeah. was in that room. The only phone in the facility. The only washer and dryer. The only washer and dryer. So, so we started, it was a very rocky start. It was a very rocky start. She has, she is the, she's got a crown in heaven that's about the size of a, of, uh, I, I can't imagine how big it will be because she put up with me for all those years. But uh, we moved here in 1991. We were living in Vero Beach. I was a golf pro. She was working at a furniture store, uh, furniture store uh, managing a furniture store in Vero. And I had taken a job 
at a golf course after, uh, does anybody know who Or Hershiser is? Anybody? There's a couple. So Or Hershiser, Hall of Fame pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it was the Cy Young Award winner. They, the Los Angeles Dodgers won the uh, World Series in 1988. Um, and spring training was rolling around in 1989, and their spring training at the time was in Vero Beach, Florida. So Oral Hershiser's youngest brother, Judd, decides that he wants to play me in golf. I was managing... Uh, at that time, I was managing a health club that he was working out at. I don't look like I managed a health club, but I used to be, you know, something special. <laughs> <clears throat> and understanding and then I got married. this was this was in between, you know, he he didn't have a revival for maybe three or four yeah, months yeah, and we so had to make some money so he'd get a job he'd get a little Paul, job and Paul then he'd, the tent maker yeah, and every time I yeah. turned around somebody was offering me a job because they felt sorry for me because I wasn't making any money preaching and so so I, I got a job working for this uh, husband and wife managing this this health club Judd come in Oral's youngest brother come in and Judd was playing golf for the University of Alabama and he decided that he wanted to take me on in golf. And uh, so I said, okay, let, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not as good as you by any means. You, know, you're, you, you were a pretty new golfer at that yeah, point. Yeah, I really was. And, yeah. and Judd was, a, you know, here he's a scratch golfer, plays for the University of Alabama, was going to make his profession being a professional golfer. And so I go to this, his private, they have a private golf course, so I go to the private golf course to play golf. I had $40 in my pocket. And Judd says, you don't need any money. You know, don't worry about it. I said, okay. I, you know, I, so he said, we'll play and, and I'll spot you, you know, certain amount of strokes on each side. And we'll, play, we'll play for the $40 you have. Well, I didn't have a problem with that because I had already designated that to you know, pay for the green fees that I couldn't have paid for anyway because it was over $100. But so we, we go, and at the end of the first nine, he reaches in his pocket and pulls out $40 and hands it to me. And we'd only played nine holes. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm paying you for the lesson that you gave me also. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, he said, I ran my mouth off. And he said, you put put your foot in my mouth and shut it up pretty good. And so he said, you don't need to be managing a health club. You need to be in the golf business. So he took, his, took a piece of paper out and he wrote down his name and his phone number and he said, Grand Harbor is opening up a new golf facility, 865 acres on the Indian River down in Vero Beach. He said, they got two golf courses. He said, go and talk to this man here and he'll give you a job. I'm driving a 1972 Dodge Dart uh, two-door uh, baby blue, and it's faded because there's nothing. It's it, 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 it had a push-button start because the key didn't work. Uh, and I and had four tires that none of them matched. They were all the same size. Uh, they were all 16-inch tires. 
but none of them were the same width or the same height. So I went down the road like this right here. <clears throat> so I pull into this illustrious Grand Harbor, beautiful facility, and I get out of the car, and I go inside, and the man behind the counter says, uh, can I help you? I said, well, I'm here to apply for the job as the assistant golf pro, and he goes, oh, you're Lee Terry. And I said, yeah, how did you know that? He said, well, we've already been called. He said, hang on just a minute, and I'll get Mr. Downey. So Steve Downey comes out, Irish Jew. Now, you got to picture this. He smoked foot-long stogies that were two inches around. And he was, lived at a Cutcher's Country Club in Monticello, New York. Does anybody know where that was? So anyway, so, so he had come down, took the job, and uh, red-headed, flaming red hair. And he come out and he says, when can you start? And I said, well, you don't even, you haven't asked the first question. You don't even know if I can play golf. And he goes, I've already got a phone call. I know you can play golf. He said, when can you start? I said, well, whenever you tell me. He said, start next Monday. I said, okay. So I went to work as an assistant golf pro at this very fancy golf course uh, right off the bat. And I stayed there until we moved here or stayed in the golf industry. I moved around a little bit, but stayed in there till we moved here. And we moved here in 1991 and fell in love with the place. We had a, a, a dad, dad and I did a revival at Sunset Park Church of God in Wildwood. And I would come home and tell Mitzi about it. And one night about every one, time he'd go preach somewhere or his dad would go preach somewhere, he'd come home and he'd say, oh, we had the best church. And I said, well, of course you did because you did church, yeah. you know, I mean, he. He always uh, was so happy with the way church turned out wherever they went. So one night about 1.30, we're, we're laying in bed, and she reaches over and touches me, and she says, I'm ready to move. And I said, uh, okay. And she said, we're going to move to Wildwood. And that was uh, 1991, so however many years ago, that 32 years ago. Um. We moved here, fell in love with the people. We, we had already had Lauren, our oldest daughter, and we were getting ready to start having a family. And I decided then I, I was going to more or less come off the field for preaching purposes because I, wanted, I didn't want to be like what my dad had to go through. Um, my dad was never home. He never saw me play basketball. He never saw me play Little League Baseball. He, he always was, uh, uh, we played racquetball when he would come home. And, and, uh, but there was not the, that, and I don't want to think, I don't want you to think I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. I had a phenomenal relationship with my dad. But we didn't have that. <laughs> that it the day in day out yeah there was none of that it was always mother 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 raised the children and mother did everything and and uh, uh, I wanted that with my kids it looked like that's the way our family life was going to go it, too. It was heading that way. We and were, that this is something looking back we did you know me making that commitment to him I thought I was doing the right thing but not knowing, and even Lee not being able to put a finger on it, but not 
not wanting that for to raise his children. So I feel like he gave up some of the better years of his ministry life to just be a t-ball coach and just be a basketball coach and you know go to parent teacher conferences like a normal dad would um always having an opportunity in between to maybe go minister on a weekend or or whatnot but but he gave all that up and and just worked secular jobs here um some things that that people don't know i think this is maybe what pastor had envisioned is some of the things that you don't necessarily know about the people that are sitting right next to you. Uh, Lee and I actually pastored a church here in Oxford, Florida. Back in the late 90s, we started a church called Church of the Springs. And initially we met in the Hacienda, uh, La Hacienda Recreation Center in the Villages. Um, at that time, that was a, the newest of the recreation centers. And I want to say we had to pay $100 a week, or uh, it, was, it wasn't much to pay. Uh, little did we know that the, in, um, the expectation was that we would purchase land in the villages at a million dollars an acre to build a church. We, we didn't have any intention of doing that. So we had our church. Well, we finally, they finally kicked us out of the La Hacienda Center because we didn't have any intention on buying, you know, a million dollar an acre land to build a church. So we used the Oxford Community Center. Many of you might even vote there now. Uh, every Sunday we set up church and, and had church. And then every Sunday afternoon we tore down church. So that's something that you might not know about us. Uh, another thing that you might not know about us, we uh, started, of course, all of our kids played all different kinds of sports. And our daughter was a little bit of a, a baseball phenom, but she got to that age, you know, she was eight years old and she was the only girl on a boys baseball team because Wildwood didn't have softball at the time. And, um, uh, you know, I know there's a mix of people here, some, some Wildwood folks, and then there's some villages folks. But back then, Baseball, Little League Baseball was life in Wildwood. I mean, uh, so Lauren played on teams and she would be halfway decent. You know, she maybe couldn't compete with all the boys, but she sat on the bench because those mean old men coaches didn't want her playing. So Lee and I, you know, did all the research and uh, we started um, Dixie Youth Softball for the girls in Wildwood. And that might be something that Pastor doesn't know about us. Um, I could work a mean concession stand. I, I tell you, all of, all of my life in, in every church that we ever attended, I was the one that did the baby showers and the bridal showers and the wedding receptions. And, you messed up now. Yeah. Now, the, now they're going to. I know. Sister Marsha's got that wrapped up. But uh, I did all that, but I always worked a concession stand because he traveled and played travel ball. That was one of the reasons why I loved it here in Wildwood so much. He'd come home to to Vero Beach and he'd be home two or three days and then he'd say, well, I think I'm gonna go to Wildwood. And of course I'd make a joke and say, well, what did you come home for? Clean underwear or what? You know, because he'd only be home, he'd be gone four, six, eight weeks, come home for two days and then he'd come to Wildwood. Well, uh, church softball was big here in the area at the time and Lee would play softball with the church team. So uh, I did not have peace, we, we were, 
you know, he was wanting to move here for years before we actually did, and I just never really had the peace. And when he said I woke up, you know, one night in the middle of the night, I had that peace. And I said, okay, I'm ready to go. I've got the peace, and, and you know, so, so here we are. So give you a rundown in four minutes of some of the stuff that I did uh, to facilitate having money so we could eat uh, when I wasn't preaching. Um, I, I was a schooled McDonald's manager, went to Hamburger U. Actually, it really is a there thing. is a really a place, and I, I graduated from there. Uh, sixth in my class, which was not bad. He knows Considering the other, the other five were all owners, I, I graduated right under them. Golf Pro delivered newspapers here for the Daily Commercial. Commercial. The Daily Commercial was at a 112-mile route every night. Here in Oxford here in and o Royal. And, yeah, yeah, we met down in Coleman. I'd pick up my papers, and then we did, I did the north end here of, uh, of Sumter, uh, County. Sumter County. So I had a coffee route, worked for Brainerd Helicopter, uh, drove a truck for Brainerd Helicopter who fight fires, uh, forest fires. I, I owned an irrigation business for a number of years uh, here in the villages, uh, putting irrigation in for several of the builders um, and uh, became a builder uh, for the villages and was responsible for about 1,250 homes a year for, uh, for them. Um, I was the only person in the villages that had my, uh, my official title. All the other builders were actually out there putting the, built, putting the houses together, and I'm the guy that went in and did the punches on their home and, and, met, and met with the homeowners to do their... Uh, walkthroughs and stuff like that. Um, you were the, those are some of the things that I did to just make ends meet. Just try to, you know, try to help out, try to try to be a part. I think we should share the one story. I have a question. Okay, I got an answer. How long did it take you to do Six hours. Six hours. Yeah, from the time that I started to the time that I I, I quit, it was about a six-hour uh, nonstop. You didn't stop to you know eat. You didn't stop to drink. You you just you just went. It was a and and didn't make any money, folks. I'm just letting you know, paper guys don't make any money. Uh, three hundred sixty-five days of the yeah, year. Yeah, and it was three hundred, <laughs> literally three hundred sixty-five days a year. There was no taking anything off. There are so many. I'm looking at this. There are so many stories that we could have shared. Uh, all three of our children are absolute miracles, uh, and God really showed His hand uh, in their their being here on the face of this earth, and I know God has a special calling and anointing for them. But I just, uh, I know we've only got a minute or two, but I, I want you to share the one story. Lee and I were um, really struggling with what God wanted for us. And, you know, I know you see us here together on, on Sundays and, and Wednesdays. Rarely have we ever even had the opportunity to sing together. He always, you know, he sang uh, prophecy uh, conferences and he sang on cruise ships. And I was always at home just in the church choir. And, you know, so we, we didn't do a lot of stuff together. I mean, people always say, oh, let's hear a duet. We 
we never really did a lot of music together. But we, um, we had an opportunity to sing at a homecoming in Fort Pierce, Florida. We were living in Vero at the time in a you know, fairly newlywed couple and really didn't know what God had in store for us. And so we got invited to sing at this homecoming. And it was a church we'd never attended. You know, we, we knew one couple. I happened to work with the lady. Uh, I, I worked in a, a radiology office, and she said, I know you and Lee sing. We want you to come for our homecoming. We thought it was so odd. And so we went, and we sang together. And um, the pastor and his wife, uh, really they were co-pastors, but the, the pastor's wife asked to speak to us after the service. And again, she didn't know us from Adam. We'd, we'd never met her before. And, uh, you know, we were really looking for what God had for us next in the ministry. And I want you to tell this so story. So we, we, they invite us back to the office. She gets... She, she had the gift of prophecy on her life and she started prophesying. <clears throat> she started prophesying over me and she just basically opened up a book of my life and started reading it and she had no idea who I was. Uh, she made the statement. She said, God's got ministry in your plans and to prove that you, that I'm uh, accurate and I'm, I'm speaking right, you're going to get a phone call in three days from somebody you've never met and you do not know He's going to offer you a job in a church, and you're to take that job. Well, she put a timeline on it. She was, it was three days. Guess what happened? I'm at home. I had worked the night shift before at McDonald's. I had come home. I'm asleep. Phone rings. Mitzi answers it, hands it to me, and, she, and it's a pastor in Inglewood, Florida, he says, you do not know me and we've never met. Those were the first things out of his mouth. He said, but uh, Mark Roberson gave me your phone number and I need a youth pastor. And will you come? And we went and folks, uh, the four darkest months that we've ever been through was accepting that position. Uh, we, we were literally uh, attacked in every area of our lives. I was threatened. Man threatened my life. Told me he was going to kill me in the pulpit. Uh, and I told the pa I had a 38 police special in my back pocket. And I told the pastor, I said, if he walks through the door and he's holding a gun, I'm going to drop him right there. And he said, you have my permission. He said, just make sure you hit him. And so we went through the darkest four months of our lives. But what a learning experience. But. God was in it. It, it was the. It was the greatest learning experience we've ever met, we've ever had, because you can be in the middle of God's will, right dead in the middle, knowing there was no way it couldn't have been the, God's will for us to be there. Could be in the middle of God's will, and the devil attack you tooth and toenail. Yeah. It was a storm, yeah. But to know that we got out of there with our lives, and we got out of there... 
with a testimony and I'll have to share that with you one day but just remember that God loves you and he cares about you and he, he won't put you through something that you can't take On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.